After Moses delivered the Ten Commandments, he immediately fleshed out the appropriate posture needed for keeping God's commands. And not surprisingly, it's not a sneering posture like the Pharisees had toward Jesus. Moses wrote this. He said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commands I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. For me, this begs the question, what is our posture towards God's commands? In this week's sermon, Pastor Kelly preached on Luke 16, 16 to 18, where Jesus talks about the law and also gives his insight on marriage and divorce. On today's podcast, we're going to be talking about these topics and more. Stay tuned from Glen Allen Bible Church. I'm Matt Moreau. I'm John Vanderbilt. I'm Beth Moss. And I'm Kelly Brady. This is episode number 191 of the Next Level Podcast. Coming back to life, reaching towards the light. Good, good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. We're back. We back are back. The... Yeah, it's been a couple weeks since we were all here together, hasn't it? I know. We missed you, Beth. Well, and we missed you, and it was Matt and Grant and I. You guys oh, are both that's gone. Right. See? Yeah. Yeah. The band is back together. The band and, is back and together. And look at this. And it, I wish our listeners could see what we're seeing here, because this is a first we have level blinds right now. They are at the same level. The blinds are open. The sunlight's coming in, and the blinds are all at the same level. That's never <laughs> happened since I've been here. We got some new, new blinds. New wow. Blinds. They retract. They go up. They go down. And they're, they're quiet. S- they're silent. Virtually That's silent. That's amazing. And, and they're all I miss at the, the old squeak, squeak, yeah. squeak. <laughs> you miss getting up on the ladder and putting all your body weight into, the, into <laughs> to it get to untangled. yank it down. So <laughs> it come someone, someone yelling because you're, you're lowering Stop. one and you're not Stop. looking and it's eating Stop. it. Yeah. It's, it's crumpling, it's crumpling and at a 45 degree angle. As Someone's it's going, going, Stop, up. Stop pressing the button. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> I don't know. They look exactly the same to me. <laughs> Thanks, Beth. <laughs> $55,000. So much work went into that. They're amazing. Best blinds I've ever seen. <laughs> oh, good to be back. Um, yesterday's, yeah, yesterday's service. What do you mm-hmm. guys think? You know, I spent the service. I came here and, and worked in, served in um, children's ministries yesterday, and it was so fun. Nice. Um, to be with little little ones again. I mean, I still have younger-ish elementary age kids, but I was with the like five-year-olds and um, it was really fun. And Janet and Amy, the team, Aaron, they're all doing such a great job. It's really organized. And so I guess I would just encourage people, you know, even if you don't have kids or your kids are older or, you know, it's a huge blessing for parents who do have young kids to get that hour away um to be able to come and worship so if you've got the bandwidth to do just even one week give it a try it was it was really fun that's awesome that's cool mm-hmm. you know we've really just to give them a, another shout out we've really appreciated and enjoyed the packets that they send home for the mm-hmm. little kids and stuff like there's good stuff in there if you're not um taking advantage of that man take advantage of that there's some really good good stuff to go over good stuff to talk through with your kids and mm-hmm. all that so well done uh, student min- or children's, children's yeah. yeah. Student ministries, though, too. They had ice skating for the kids last night. And Did your kids go? Yeah. They they, and they had it in waves. Um, yeah. They kind of spread Where did they go? Spread well, it out. Center Ice. The one by it's on, just, right on Main Street here in Glen Allen. Well, it's up Main Street. It's, it's or is it Glendale yeah, Heights? It's, it's yeah. yeah, it's like right there. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Right. It's right very by close. the Great Western Trail. 
I'm not forgetting. I was thinking I, right by Dairy Queen. <laughs> <laughs> Just down from Dairy Queen. <laughs> when I heard that they were going ice skating, I immediately remembered a men's retreat we had where we went ice skating up there and then we, we left town or something. And um, How sorry you were. Oh, my gosh. Well, this, this man, who shall remain nameless, put on skates for the first time in like 30 years. Oh, no. Ooh, nice. Made one or two glides out on the ice, slipped, lost his footing, cracked his head open, had oh, to go to the yeah. ER. We were done. <laughs> Blood on the ice. It was yes. like the first five minutes. Man. Oh, dear. Oh, yeah, I don't trust my, I don't, I'm not a good Man, the ice fall, skater. You lose your footing on the ice and yeah, Ca- Caleb went. His his line was, "You don't really have to like glide and skate. You can kind of just walk on your skates." <laughs> I'm like, "That's called walking. <laughs> it's not skating. It's difficult walking." <laughs> but I appreciated that the uh, ha- spreading it out took probably a lot more time and and volunteers yeah. in in student ministries. So I was just kind of thinking to myself, "Gosh, that that's hard. It's just harder to pull off yeah. things like that in." these times. And so I was thankful for the staff that were willing to, and volunteers that were willing to kind of take that longer stretch of time to make it happen. Yeah. We had, I mean, it was a win for us from a planning and execution perspective because we added a song and we still, and you know, we're, we're trying to run at 55 minute services for change over time and all that. And, um, pretty much stayed, stayed within the the boundaries Mm. on that. Yeah. So that was good. That was good. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know for I don't know how you guys felt. For me personally, yesterday I felt like uh, I don't know if it was because attendant it, all three services were well attended mm-hmm. and and that was great. Um, but it I, it felt close to what it once was hmm. as far as you're just used to it. Yeah, you Oh man, first is first service in particular was really responsive and. Um, yeah, it was just, it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. People sang loud. I yeah. felt emotional first service. It's not odd for me to have an emotional response, but I did feel emotional first service just being gone two weeks. I just mm-hmm. I miss being with yeah. the people of God and hearing them sing. And and I think you're right. I think there was a lot of conviction in our singing uh, volume on Sunday. So I was encouraged. Cool. Makes yeah. it easy to preach, frankly. And mm-hmm. um, what I think was a, you know, a culturally difficult word, you know, just on divorce and remarriage. In fact, I thought I would mention from the outset here that uh, given the na- the tender nature of the topic, um, divorce and remarriage, it, it, which, you know, almost affects every home in our congregation to some extent. We, we have family or friends, extended family, that have been through a divorce or perhaps remarried. Given the tender nature of it, I just want to restate that God's grace covers all our sin. and um, And just because the preacher, in this case me, uh, I haven't been divorced or remarried um, just because the sin addressed in this week's passage uh, isn't one that I participated in. Um, there's, you know, all my sin is addressed in, in scripture mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and we're all called to confess and repent. So uh, I get that it's a, it's a hard word culturally. And some of the questions that we received are difficult questions. And so I, um, I just want to start with God's grace and encourage us, and we'll do our best to close with God's grace. Mm-hmm. Encourage us to to celebrate God's grace and enjoy it. Well, let's. Uh, why don't we get into some questions then? And before we get into to that specifically, um, this is a question around you. You talked a little bit about biblical ethics. You talked a little bit about some legislation that's going to go through or that is being proposed. So, um, question number one. As followers of Jesus, should we hope that the U.S. Congress legislates 
biblical ethics. For example, should we support only politicians who want to make gay marriage illegal? Doing so is certainly consistent with biblical ethics, but what are the limits to what we can impose upon non-believers when it comes to legislation? And considering today's passage, should we really hope that things like divorce and remarriage are prohibited by Congress? Yeah, I, you know, I think that this question is a result of me saying that divorce, concerns about divorce, remarriage, defining even adultery, um, is is long since passed in the American culture. The American culture has redefined what marriage is. Um, the American culture has verbiage that that talks about starter marriages, uh, recognizing that that's just ugly. That they're not Jeez. interested in, uh, you know. Fulfilling vows. I'm not sure what vows you say at a marriage that is someone, one or both parties, is considering a starter marriage. So, but that's a whole other side. So, I think that when I was talking about um, how far afield American culture is from biblical ethics, I mentioned that some current legislation, um, biblical ethics are no longer considered conservative, but are actually biblical ethics are considered hate speech by some mm -hmm. in Congress, that it's hateful to say uh, that divorce is sinful or remarriage causes one to commit adultery, that that type of language is, is increasingly perceived as hateful. So uh, back to the question, should we hope that biblical, biblical ethics are legislated? And I think the answer is, generally speaking, no. I don't think that's the goal. I don't think that's the goal simply... Uh, I don't think that the goal is as simple. I don't think Christians should have the goal. I think that's a low goal, actually. Uh, it's not as simple as working to legislate biblical ethics. The primary reason being we're not a Christian nation. And the goal is not to become a Christian nation, but rather to become a nation made up of Christians. And there's a difference. The difference is, in short, you can't legislate faith. And becoming a nation made up of Christians happens only through evangelism, not legislation. So the church and believers should put the primary efforts into evangelism. Uh, but that isn't to say we can't have legislative goals. So um, I think the short of it is that um, we can't coerce obedience to God's commands. And God wouldn't have us do that. The priority of Christians is not so much to legislate biblical ethics, but to live as salt and light in the world, to live in a convincing manner, which means advocating in the most convincing way that we can for God's moral priorities. And we're going to have to choose our battles there. I would encourage us to advocate for the laws that we believe are most critical for social safety, the safety of our children and our families, and most vital uh, to, in supporting the good for all. And I'll give you an example. I grew up in the in the South, in Texas, and uh, it, what was often described as the Bible Belt, I wouldn't describe it that way any longer. I think that is, that's um, something that's passed. And I'll give you an example of that. When I grew up, um, stores were closed on Sunday. And I, I know it wasn't just the Bible Belt that was the case. That was the case that was fairly common. Well, that yeah. that is a fourth commandment legislative ideal, keeping the Sabbath as holy. And it, it had made its way you know, into the, the practices of our nation such that they, it was codified and certain stores were closed and, and were required. You couldn't buy gas on Sunday in Texas. And, and then they slowly eased out of that until stores could open, but you couldn't buy liquor in that yeah, interesting. I remember that. <laughs> That's how it was in Kansas. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. It, it, 
it and then that went by the wayside and yeah. and and I actually don't think we should legislate keeping the Sabbath because it it's not in the mainstream and it's not I wouldn't describe it as a priority nationally. Instead, I only eat at Chick Fil A though because they're closed <laughs> on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think that's a great closed example. I mean, it's a private. Yeah. It, it's a you my Chick Fil A. <laughs> What, who sings that? Kanye. Okay. <laughs> you were singing it, remember? You used to sing that a lot. <laughs> you used to sing it all the time when that <laughs> record came ridiculous out. Ridiculous amount. <laughs> You'd know Kelly was here because he would be walking through the halls. Closed on Sunday. <laughs> you might check my leg. Who's the Chicago rapper that's so well-known? Chance. Chance. I get his, his lyric and his sounds mixed up with others. But anyway, so I, you know, that's all I really have to say. I, I think that, you know, the good news is America does see the value in upholding the sixth commandment, don't commit murder, mm-hmm. uh, upholding the eighth commandment, do not steal. And I just, I think as Christians, let's put our, let's put the majority of our emphasis on evangelism, living as salt and light in the world. And then let's pick our legislative priorities, what we believe is in the best interest of all people, believer, and non-believer, uh, Christian and non-Christian, or, you know, and, and then, you know, Paul writes in Romans 13 that the, the, the value of government or the charge of government is to restrain evil and to support the good in society. And I think that's that we can make those legislative priorities. I think that's actually really good uh, advice in terms of perspective. Instead of focusing so much on who's in office and what bill is passing, focusing on being salt and light in the world. So even just that that small little perspective shift, I think, can be really helpful in approaching something like this. All right. Any more any more thoughts on that? Kelly covered it all. Yeah, yeah that was good. <laughs> That's typical. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've, I just remember when I first came on board, having some good conversations with you about just what you would say should be legislated, what shouldn't, where we differed and stuff yeah. like that as I just trying to wrestle through Are my theology. Are you calling back my hate for seatbelt laws? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not that. No, actually, I think um, what we were talking about one time was was uh, was gay marriage. Like, should yeah. that be legislated or not? Just having a back and forth on, like, what, you know. Yeah, what is... Because that was my question. How much... My question was essentially this. How right. much legislation should it should a Christian be supporting right. for mm-hmm. the Christian perspective on, on matters. And, and this was like three or four years ago. So I think, yeah. uh, I just saw that the Pope, how, how to say it, the Pope, uh, acknowledged civil unions, right. Which is not to say he would advocate for gay marriage, but that he, he would be okay with civil unions. And so what he's, he's trying there to thread a really small right. needle, right? About, he, about 15 years too late, too. It, so I, I, just, I think it's hard to be a politician in a democracy. Democracies are hard work mm-hmm. because we don't all share the world, same worldview. In fact, I recently read a book that just talked about one of the, the real civil discourse when it's lost, your dis, your democracy's lost because democracies are built on the ability to listen to each other and then interact with uh, in debate. Mm-hmm. And if you can't uh, civilly discuss ideas, then representation, uh, the plural representation, representation of the many gets really gets impossible. So yeah. I, one of the ways we could be salt and light as Christians is to be really good 
listeners in the, in um, civil discourse. Mm -hmm. yeah. Under that definition, <laughs> that's why a lot of people are looking around going, wow, our democracy is dying. Well, we have real trouble right. these days in yeah. democracy. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. um, you know, I saw Trump was at the CPAC conference uh, over the weekend, the Conservative Political Action Committee conference. And, and then this morning I woke up and you open your CNN app and they are fact-checking him. And so CNN had, I'm, I'm going to ballpark it at, no fewer than 12 uh, lies mm. that they assert you know, Donald Trump is telling. So I just, my point here is not that Donald Trump is lying or that CNN shouldn't be doing fact-checking, but rather how difficult discourse is right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, it's... Yeah. All right, let's get into the next question. Um, Second question, I don't understand. Are you actually saying that people shouldn't get remarried, should not get remarried? That seems like an untenable social position as divorce is so common. Or are you saying that it is okay to get remarried because although it leads to the breaking of the seventh commandment, God's grace covers it? It's a fascinating question. I can't wait to hear what you have to say. <laughs> and I, I worked really hard to emphasis on God's grace because we have remarried folks and we have divorced folks who have a desire to get remarried. And so the question asker says, I don't understand. What are you actually saying? Mm -hmm. And so I'm doing my best to say what scripture says. And I, I didn't even get to first Corinthians on Sunday, but I actually think that <laughs> Paul does a really good job referencing and explaining Jesus's teaching. So I'm going to quote from first Corinthians chapter seven, verses 10 and 11. And uh, so I'm just going to read it and then I'll talk about it a little bit. To the married, so Paul's writing to the married folks in Corinth, to the married, I give this command. And then he says parenthetically, not I, but the Lord. So there's a parenthesis. Inside the parenthesis is the statement, not I, but the Lord. And what he's saying is, I have received this directive from Jesus. So to the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. So to the question that the listener thinks is an untenable position because divorce is so common, I'm saying that believers should not get remarried unless their first spouse has died. So the, the charge till death do you part, that's often a part of mm -hmm. wedding ceremonies, is a biblical charge uh, that comes straight out of 1 Corinthians 7. Once our spouse dies, then we're released from that bond and are free to remarry. But if our spouse hasn't passed and we're divorced, then we must remain unmarried, Paul says, and he says he gets this from Christ or be reconciled to our spouse. Yeah, and, and I think the, the person who's asking this question is confused because you said that clearly yesterday, but then you addressed mm -hmm. people who, I mean, God's grace. we have a lot of people here who yeah. are remarried. Right. So you were saying, if that is you, God's grace covers yeah. you. Mm -hmm. Yes. But it wasn't necessarily permission. Right. No, it's not permission to the married to get divorced. Mm -hmm. Well, because you're left going, well, so what do I do then? Yeah. Like, do, do I get a pass? Or mm -hmm. do I get a pass? No. 
do I do, do I divorce I walk my current away, why, right. walk away from my current spouse? Yeah, if you're you remarried, know, like there, that's not owing to God either. Right. Right. Don't I, break the commitment you're mm-hmm. currently in. Yeah. What I was what what I was do you have more on that? I don't think so. Okay. Maybe. <laughs> well, we, <laughs> have really, uh, we have a really we have a we have a really yeah. an, uh, the next yeah, question is really deeper. connected, right? To the next um, deeper level. Would you Would you have Matt? Um, you know, I, well, I was just wondering. So, um, I still I have not landed my theological plane on this yet. Um, this is one of the things that we talked. You and I mm-hmm. talked about Kelly when I first got here. Just you know, I was just trying to hash stuff out and whatever. And um, I was wondering if you would mention that it is like this is what you believe but this is a pretty open to debate topic among people who run in our circles theologically like well, well i i would say you know i, I hear you and, and i mean my, I, i'm a john piper fanboy i'm right, a john right. piper fanboy <laughs> yeah. and piper is right in line with you right at the same time i'm also a gruden fanboy and wayne gruden <laughs> is on the opposite side of this right and yeah. so you, if you are going to go out there and, and investigate this and research it and really try to and pray through it, like you are going to find, I still have yet, to, I have, I yeah. have yet to hear a slam dunk on this. That mm-hmm. makes me go, okay, that's where I'm landing. And so I was just wondering if you thought about mentioning that. And I, I don't mean to say you have to qualify all of your preaching because yeah. there are some things that are more in our camp, at least universally taken as, yeah. uh, you know, you know, if you're not in on this, this might be a tough place for you. Um, whereas a, a topic like this, there's a lot of differing opinions um, as to there, the... There are differing opinions within conservative evangelical circles as to the permissibility of remarriage. There are differing opinions. Um, for example, uh, abuse, abandonment, and adultery, it's often described as the three A's, um, are are seen by some as... Per, uh, allowing uh, for divorce and thus allowing for remarriage. Uh, But those reasons, uh, near as I can tell, are often philosophically, those arguments are often philosophically based and less theologically based. Mm -hmm. That just the plainest reading of scripture, I don't know what you do with the plainest reading of scripture, 1 Corinthians 7, 10, 11, a man should not divorce his wife, but if he does, I'm sorry, a wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And just the plainest reading of scripture, I, I think Christ himself said it was not this way from the beginning, but by, by God's design, a, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and what God has joined to let, together, let the two become one flesh, and what God has joined together, let no man separate. Just the plainest, most straightforward reading of Scripture is that it is a death due to, until we part. And I, I think that there, and the next question will get into it a little bit, I think there, the devil's in the details for sure. Yeah. Um, and there are some very complicated real-life situations uh, to be had. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, okay, let's go to the next question. I get it. A no fault divorce is not biblical, and the notion of a starter marriage is unbiblical, unbiblical. I agree that what society has done to the institution of marriage is really not good, but certainly God understands the need for divorce in situations of abuse. And if God understands the need for divorce in situations of abuse, then certainly He must follow for remarriage in those situations. He must allow the question, he must allow for remarriage. He, oh, sorry, yeah. not follow. He must allow. <laughs> For remarriage in but, and that's exactly the the listener there puts forward a philosophical argument. If then, if this, then that. If he allows for divorce in the case of abuse, then surely he allows for remarriage. That's a philosophical. 
mm. uh, more than a theological if this, then that. Um, so I do believe that divorce is permissible in some situations. Paul himself acknowledges the permissibility of divorce in the, in the verses I just quoted. A wife must not divorce her husband, but if she does. So he's basically saying, in some cases, a wife will decide to divorce her husband. Paul, in other words, isn't clueless to the realities of how difficult marriage can be. He realized that there are some marital situations that were simply unbearable. And if you've, you know, if you've been around the community of the church for very long at all, yeah, I mean, if you're an adult, you've probably met with a difficult, difficult marital situation. And certainly abuse is one of those situations in which people say, I cannot remain married to this person. Interestingly, though, I don't believe that the Bible actually details, I can't think of a New Testament passage in which the Bible details what exactly should be cause for divorce. Paul, in other words, he only admits mm -hmm. that some do get divorced. If she does, he says she must remain unmarried. Or if a man divorces a wife, he must remain unmarried or be reconciled to his, his wife. So, I think he only acknowledges it. I, in fact, believe that the New Testament actually leaves to the believer the decision, leaves it open to them when they can't bear it anymore. All the while acknowledging the fact that we're to bear one another, we're to bear with one another as long as possible. Is that making sense? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I, my mother got divorced from my father, um, I have divorce in my family, uh, among my siblings. So, uh, and I have said to people I love, in other words, very people I'm very close with, if you were Christ, you'd stay married. You're not Christ. You're telling me that it's breaking you. You can't bear the sin of your spouse any longer. Whatever that sin might be. It might be addiction. It might just be mean, meanness. If you can't bear it, Paul said that that, that some people, some Christians do get divorced. That, in fact, I've known people that were hospitalized when trying to stay married. Mm -hmm. and, and in other words, there are, there are some burdens that we can't bear. We can't always bear with our spouse's sin. And so I get it. People get divorced. And that's what I'll say to people. Uh, in the pastoral setting, I'll say, I, I understand why you would get divorced. So, although divorce is permissible in some situations, the permissibility of remarriage doesn't seem to follow biblically. As the listener seems to think, if abuse is a permissible reason for divorce, then wouldn't God allow for remarriage? I don't see that in Scripture. I, I see the converse. Uh, Matthew 19, when the Pharisees questioned Jesus about the permissibility of divorce, Jesus explains that Moses only allowed divorce because of the heart's of the people were hard and the divorce was not a part of God's design in the beginning and that remarriage leads to the breaking of the seventh commandment. It's interesting to note the disciples response to Jesus on this. It gives us actually some insight when we even consider the response of the disciples to this teaching on divorce and remarriage. It's Matthew 19 verse 10. If this is the situation, the disciples say, between a husband and wife, it's better not to marry. That's the conclusion they draw. In other words, if, if you can only, by God's design, ever marry one time, and there's no back door, 
And by God's design, we wouldn't get divorced. And if you do get divorced, you cannot remarry. The disciples actually say, Matthew 19, 10, if that's the situation, it's better not to marry. Jesus responds in the very next verse. He says, not everybody can bear that. Mm-hmm. And then he talks about eunuchs and He's basically talking about sexual abstinence. It's, yep. And Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 7. Some of the reason we need to get married is because we have a lot of sexual appetite. We long for intimacy with others. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Uh, it was reminding me of Paul and how he said, hey, all of you should stay single the way that I have. But if you can't, then you get married. So even when you talked about, say, there's a divorce because of abuse or something, then I, I went back to Paul saying it'd be best if you could stay single the way yeah. that I have. But if you can't bear that remarriage, right. I, then there's God's grace. Um, yeah. What do you think about that? I, I would think that God's grace is great. If, if I hear from somebody, I cannot bear being single after this divorce, then I think that's between them and God. Mm-hmm. And if they're saying it's better for me to remarry than to burn with my sexual appetite, I would say, you know, talk to God. About I'm not going to be your judge. Um, and, yeah. and, and I wouldn't heap judgment on anybody. Mm-hmm. E- even to the extent you shared with me once that you have officiated. I have officiated. Remarriage I, I uh, weddings. I have officiated some remarriages. I try to limit them to when um, the, the former spouse, spouses of those who are remarrying are already remarried. Okay. And so there's no possibility mm-hmm. of reconciliation. Yeah, the issue mm-hmm. settled. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Or the former spouses have passed away. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, and if you read Matthew 19 really closely, if in the first marriage, the bond formed miraculously, miraculously by God was broken already through sexual infidelity, what is described as sexual immorality, then at least in the remarriage, we're not going on to commit, uh, break the seventh commandment. Are y'all following me there? Adultery. Adultery. Mm-hmm. So if adultery was committed in, in the marriage relationship, and then a divorce happens, and one of those spouses wants to get remarried, then in the remarriage, the seventh commandment's not getting broken because the bond formed was already broken through adultery in the first relationship. It's complicated. I can see I'm losing y'all. <laughs> it is. No, it's funny because what you're talking about right now, Dallas, are, Dallas Willard wrote about in... Um, and I think he did horrible with the topic. <laughs> it's in the divine conspiracy. In the divine conspiracy. I read through it and was just like... <laughs> Who am I to, to say Dallas Willard did horribly? <laughs> uh, I'm actually in a Dallas Willard discussion group right now, and we're going through the divine conspiracy. So I spent a fair bit of time recently assessing his... his I, think he gives, I think he gives permission to sin. <laughs> you, you, the last situation you drew is inconsistent with your, the rest of your argument. How is that? Because you're saying there's a loophole out for adultery to not take place where I don't think that's, I don't think that's the teaching in Matthew 19 verse nine. I don't think he's talking about mer- You know what I mean? Like, if there's no loophole out allowing you to be remarried and not have it be adultery. I'm familiar with some of the grammatical arguments yeah. around what is sexual immorality in right. Matthew 19. What verse is that? 
99. 99. So, uh, you... And, and I'm open to being wrong there. I, I'm not... <laughs> I don't Somebody want to be wrong. Matthew nineteen So Ma- Matthew nine nineteen is I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, comma, except for sexual immorality, comma, oh, okay. and marries another woman commits adultery. So some take that to say that Jesus is saying if you're married and your spouse commits adultery, you can then get remarried and it won't be adultery. Hmm. That's ha- historically how I've considered that. Right. And I, and it's not, and let me just, before you go on, many people take that verse as permission to divorce. Correct. Yeah. And that's, remarry, that's where I've heard it. And uh-huh. that's not what's being given there. Correct. But it, they it, also use it as a, even if I don't have permission to get divorced, I will get divorced, but now I have permission to remarry and have it not be adultery. Okay. Because the sin that Christ includes here is sexual immorality seems to be somewhat of a loophole be, to the argument of the bond is broken. Now you can avoid breaking the seventh commandment right. in remarriage. Right. Okay. And you, and I see here you've written notes about the, well, the yeah. grammar. Yeah. I mean the, yeah. I mean the grammatical is one argument, but it also, I mean to, to, for the bulk and the, the breadth of the te- of teaching on divorce to give zero loopholes for remarriage and not call it adultery, I think would, is inconsistent with the breadth of the teaching in scripture on divorce. So let me just... So, so the one line in Matthew 9 would say, oh, Christ actually made a loophole. Paul goes on to never address the never loophole, the loophole ever right. once. Yeah. No one in the Old Testament, all the laws in Deuteronomy. And so it's easy to argue that everybody clearly understood there was no backdoor, everybody, mm-hmm. no backdoor to marriage zero, and no opening to remarriage. There's no, no loophole that Christ creates with sexual... Specifically, the word that he uses there is fornication, sex with people having sex that aren't married. That's the, it's not, it's pornea. That he, this is the Greek word that's used, not the Greek word for adultery. So Christ is saying, if you're together, which makes a and you're having sexual relations, you can break apart. You, you, you can break apart because it's better for you not to get married if, there, if there's then been... Um, It'd be like an engaged couple living together, having sexual relations with one another. Somebody has another, has more sexual immorality. You can separate from that person. It is not considered adultery because there wasn't, it was considered sexual immorality, fornication. Oh, Mm. Oh, okay. This is what Christ is dealing with here. There may, the exception you drew could very well be fine and, and, but I don't think that, Verse 9 of Matthew 19 is the reason for that. I think he's talking about a very different different situation, which is why he says, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, why the fiance or fiance, it's better for them not to marry. Yeah. They're not yet married, is, his re- is the response of the disciples. It's a situation, I think, that was common. in. Uh, it's a Mary and Joseph situation. They're betrothed. And then there's infidelity. They're betrothed. Then there's infidelity. You can separate quietly get remarried and not have it be adultery Mm. would be my take. That's Piper's take on it. That's, 
and not that Piper's the end all be all. That's the, those that are consistent with not allowing remarriage biblically mm-hmm. or using that argument would say this is not a loophole. It's talking about a very different situation. That and I, cr- was, I wasn't cr- presenting it as a as No, permission. I don't think you were. I don't think you were presenting it as permission. I think you were saying it wasn't adultery. Right. And I would, I don't know if that's necessary. I mean, to me personally. No, it's good. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> These it's, it's nice are, to know somebody's more conservative no, theologically I, than I, I am. Actually, I actually am not more conservative, I don't think, theologically. I think that I just want us to make really sure that that we're not taking things, and, not, and I'm not saying you, Kelly, or, right. or any of us here, but just generally, theologically, that we, like, we got to look at all that detail because a lot of people use mm-hmm. this verse in your, to, to your point to say, this is a reason why I'm allowed to get married. My husband cheated on me. I can get divorced and I can get remarried. Jesus says it's okay. Mm-hmm. It's not sin. It's not adultery. I'm good. Yeah. And I think that's not untrue. It, I think the I breadth of the teaching on it. Yeah, the, the, the weight of the New Testament is that it's just not, there's not an open door to remarriage. And, and it, the thing is, it sounds so harsh. It does. Oh, uh, culturally. Culturally, but it's if we, so harsh. If we, you know, I it feels pot- ungrateful or ungracious. It feels mm-hmm. unforgiving. It feels dismissive of people who are remarried and have beautiful marriages and wonderful families. And, right. and, and you know, the, the response of someone sitting in the pew goes, so is this family illegitimate to you or this marriage? No, no. absolutely. 1000% no. But what do you do with the teaching then? Yeah. You ha- <laughs> so, and I do think it's important if we want to see marriages strengthened, that we hold up the ideal. Mm-hmm. And as the morning went on, I actually think I did better at painting the importance of holding up the ideal of marriage. There's no back door and there's, there's no, if you do, if you say you can't bear your spouse and you do d- get divorced, then remarriage is not an option. If we hold up those ideals, I think it will help the church and society ultimately, mm-hmm. although difficult. And we need to learn to hold them up while celebrating the grace of God when we, and we all, fall short. Yes. Because today it's divorce and remarriage. Tomorrow mm-hmm. it will be gossip or, or anxiety or fears, whatever mm-hmm. our personal sin is. Right. That, and we're going to need grace there too. Mm-hmm. While holding up the ideal that we need not fear and that God's perfect love casts out fear. I think part of the problem, if we were to, you know, set set it up in a a different way, is that this is a great example (laughs) of the state being involved in a Christian, to go back to your first question, in something that is God's design. Mm -hmm. We come up with marriage and... The church endorsing it. And so you're not sure that the state should be involved in I sanct- don't, sanctifying marriage? I really don't marriage. think they should. And I don't think... There's what about all the tax benefits? Well, that's that. exactly right. <laughs> so if that's, if that's why we're doing it, then let's not call it marriage, right? Because yeah. marriage... one of the reasons right. we're struggling so, right? Right. And, and th- this is part of... This. So one, when the state got involved and starts regulating marriage as an institution that's societally wide and accepted 
that is outside of the church. So they've taken a church and Christian concept. The church is to marry people, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they've taken that and saying anybody can marry. You know what I mean? They've moved, mm-hmm. they've moved something outside of the church, taken the term, taken the institution, and tried to say that societally we will now manage marriage as a state. It makes it easier to think that you can nullify it because you go through the state mm-hmm. and a lawyer in a right. courtroom right. to mm-hmm. get rid of it if mm-hmm. you don't like it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it just it it's an example of the state being involved in something that is is fully on the shoulders of the church and it causing tons of issues. I don't have a problem for what it's worth. I'll push back. I don't have a problem with the state getting involved in marriage. It, you know, marriage as an institution was set up before the church was. So, you know, we have Genesis chapter two, uh, marriage being set up. And, and so, I, you know, long before the church was around and, and Israel didn't have, um, they weren't the only ones that could sanction marriage. And my point is that marriage is, is a societal institution established by God. So totally. I'm okay with the state being involved. I hear you though. That because the state doesn't have a soul, in other words, the, the state, um, although ordained by God, is not an eternal institution supporting right. the mission of God. Right. Um, so, there's, there's some tensions. So, can we continue in in the all the craziness? Because what if you were got married under the state and not under the church? Yeah. <laughs> Well, it, it, what it if doesn't you nullify believe? the design. The what design you, is the design. So the, it's state, too bad. so the state gets the church's design and gets to do whatever they want with it? No. Or no. we, we no. are... Li- when we, when we, you know, when I use a hammer... <laughs> let me see. When I use a screwdriver to try and drive a nail, I usually get hurt. In other words, so you can't, you can't pick up a tool or in this institution, and in, in this example, an institution and misuse it because then it, it leads to damage. And thus, the sanctity of marriage uh, and its importance is something that the church argues. So, right. It's just hard because we do have people, I, I regularly have conversations with somebody that says, I was married before I was a Christian, not in a church or in a way that was, you know, justice of the peace or whatever it was. Did that count? It counted, baby. (laughs) (laughs) You can make the argument, though. No, you can Mm -hmm. make any argument. I get it. People make that (laughs) argument that I don't have to keep my vows because I made them before I was a Christian. I want to say now that you're a Christian, Mm -hmm. how much more? How much more? Well, well, the situation is, yeah. Married, divorced, before before am I, can I get remarried? I mean, that's... Yeah, that's, it's cumbersome. It's that, so complicated. There's no biblical necessarily category. Let's talk about the... <laughs> what is the purpose of marriage? It's the tax benefit. <laughs> the purpose of marriage... It's to glorify God. Yeah, is to be a living, breathing example of Christ in the church. So, I mean, Paul describes this. That Could, could you... Would you be... I don't have... I haven't made decisions on any of this stuff. I just... It comes at the church... All the time we get sure. berated by divorce, remarriage, you know, type stuff. Would you be okay? Have you thought through what if only the church could marry people and mm. everything that took place outside of the church was a civil union? What if we took it back? Hmm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's not going to happen. I don't know. But... Like, we're having these conversations about gay marriage. Mm-hmm. The state gay marrying people 
or the church gay marrying people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like what is, is, there is it marriage? Is, if right. They, <laughs> if it doesn't. If the state's getting it at the green light, is it really? Yeah. yeah. Like what are it's, we actually? Uh, where do we go with this? And and you could say, oh, these are just crazy. Actually, no. Like we have policies and procedures written at Glen Allen Bible Church mm. to protect us from the state forcing us to do marriage that we believe is ungodly. Right. I think it's, it's worth having those debates. It is very challenging. You know, back to the legislative priorities issue. Um, as passionate as I am about marriage and its sanctity, um, there are, I think, other legislative priorities that would take precedence right now. Oh, yeah, I agree. Uh, you agree. know, the killing of children mm-hmm. through abortion. Yeah. So I, I, I think we need to, as a... <laughs> one, at one point, recognize the ship has sailed. You're not getting marriage back. Well, that's okay. I, well, right? I, I mean... I, he, well, uh, here's what the... I have my legislative priorities, personally. And I'll meet with Christians who have other priorities, other passion points, and it may be marriage, such that they put marriage as a legislative priority above abortion. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so who am I to judge? I, I just think we do need to admit <laughs> that we've got to uh, measure how much gunpowder we have and, and take aim and use our, our time efficiently. And, That's a good word. Yeah. Are you suggesting that we ready, aim, sh- then shoot? I am. I am. I'm growing oh, as a man. You just one last thing on, on remarriage I thought was interesting. I've, I've read a lot about it over the last couple of years, but just today, too, just to prepare for the podcast. And I came across some uh, a couple uh, things that I had never seen before. One of them was that um, uh, first century and, and all Jewish um, uh Divorce certificates, hmm. um, as well as the vast majority of Greco-Roman, ancient Near East um, divorce certificates, all contain the language um, that you are per- it is permissible for you to remarry. Hmm. And and basically, the argument was the certificate that is what it is for. That is its primary function is to give primarily the woman. Um, authority mm-hmm. yeah. to remarry mm-hmm. because, be, and this is what Willard argues. Uh, one of the things he argued was like how devastating it was yeah, for pragmatism. a woman in that in the first century, right? To to be divorced and the implications mm-hmm. of that, mm-hmm. but um, but that this certificate would actually empower the woman to be able to have proof legally binding, you know. And it's all got the the it's called a get mm-hmm. G E T get. Um, and anyway, so th- one of the arguments was it was implicit. In, in when Jesus says you give your you give her a divorce certificate that it's implicit that she has the authority now to get remarried. Mm. So it's just interesting that Jesus never rebuked that that language in the in the certificate, but but he just he per, you know advised it advised giving of the certificate, yeah. certificate knowing and he would have known what isn't all yeah. entailed in the certificate anyway. I, that may be more of a philosophical um, you know argument, but I just something that I'd never come across. I thought that was interesting. Again, I, I do think that pragmatism, you know, the first century consignment of divorced women to poverty, um, pragmatism, you know, it matters. But again, we need to hold up the biblical ideal of one man and one woman for life. And that in the instance of divorce, we need to hold out for reconciliation or remain unmarried. We need to hold up that ideal and the church needs to step in to care for the pragmatic issues created. Uh, poverty being one, 
Uh, most divorces are a significant financial burden to uh, mm-hmm. to the to the mom to the woman. So um, the, I really think it's a it's an opportunity for the church to shine. Yeah, I felt the same way. Actually, I felt kind of hopeful watching that sermon with my three high schoolers, particularly, and thinking. Um, what a great opportunity we have to teach them the ideal and help them desire that to show them, you know, there is this beautiful design that God created and you can have that. And, you know, kind of starting earlier, helping kids to understand why God's design is so good because media, because culture makes us think, Hey, it's all about our sexuality and that gratification. And how can you possibly wait for God's design, but actually showing them, Hey, God's design is really good. And here's why God created it to be this way. It's for um, are good. It's so that we can glorify him. Um, it's so, so that the watching world can see a sacrificial mm-hmm. love because if you've been in a marriage long at all, you know that sacrifice is required. We have to mm-hmm. care for the other, even when we don't feel cared for. I actually thought your, that was one of your strongest points on Sunday was when you used marriage and talked about Christ being married to the church. Yeah, I only did that in second service. That was mm. such a good point. I never really... I mean, that analogy of marriage, you, you've talked about it before. Like yeah. mar- well, marriage wasn't like something that, and I backed into it. I said, um, Jesus co-opted to talk about the church. It was actually, yeah, what if this God was created? his plan with the church. Let's create marriage to show how powerful it is. Right. Yeah. I, mean, I said that oftentimes when we hear till like what God said, um, join together, let no man separate. When we hear that, we think, well, God didn't, he didn't understand who I was, who I got married to mm. and how difficult it is. And I said in second service, I understand that completely, but God does know what it is to be in a difficult marriage. Israel was called his bride. How hard was that? Mm -hmm. And the church is called his bride. God knows exactly what it is to be married to a nightmare. I'm really, really hard to be married to. And yet he bears with me and puts up with me. And that is what our marriages on earth are to Mm -hmm. model. Yeah, I thought that was was Mm -hmm. good. All right, let's go to the last uh, last question. This is a great one. The first yeah. part of this question is my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> the, first, the very first the line. First you you want to read it? Stop there. No, I know. It's got to come from you. I don't mean this insulting. I don't mean this insulting. <laughs> I mean this to be helpful. So you mean this insulting. All right, let's go. <laughs> Just saying. Uh, I don't okay. mean to punch you in the stomach. <laughs> I don't mean this insulting. I mean this to be helpful. On Sunday, you mentioned that this teaching doesn't get much play in the pulpits of America. But don't you think that there aren't, that there aren't many preachers addressing Jesus' teachings on divorce and remarriage because there are bigger issues to be addressed? Don't you think that issues of injustice and poverty and racism and the like are more urgent and that preachers are dodging the topics of divorce and remarriage, but are simply doing their best to focus on what is most mission critical? Jeez, I that's insane. That's problem insulting. with that assumption. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, the first thing I want to admit is I don't know what's in the heart of other preachers. I barely know what's in my own heart. And, <laughs> and I wouldn't want to guess as to what motivates other preachers. I do yeah. hope you're correct, though. I hope the listener's correct. Mm-hmm. I hope the divorce and remarriage are not being dodged out of cultural accommodation and fear of addressing hard issues. I hope they are being left unaddressed, and I think we... I. I feel they're being left unaddressed, and I hope it's because some of some high-minded ideal, as you suggest, that they're, they're giving their time and attention to things that they perceive are grander and more urgent, poverty, racism, injustices of varied sort. 
Whatever the reason, though, for the relative silence on these types of issues, Paul, interestingly enough, prided himself in teaching what he described to the Ephesian elders as the whole counsel of God. And divorce, or I should say marriage, divorce and remarriage, clearly fall within the whole counsel of God. And for biblical reference, it's Acts 20, 27. Paul is saying his farewell, it's in the NIV, the the paragraph is labeled the farewell speech of Paul to the Ephesian elders. And he says, I have not failed to present, to proclaim to you the whole counsel or the whole will of God. And then he goes on, he said, he, he goes on to give them instructions as shepherds of God's flock. He says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church, which he brought, he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave you, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. And I can't help but believe that part of the schemes of those who would do damage to the church would be to distract us from, our, from teaching the whole counsel of God. And I get it that I may have an a inordinate emphasis on marriage, divorce, and remarriage and the biblical ethics around those. Um, but... Certainly, every church should be addressing it at some point in some fashion. Mm -hmm. we, we can't be silent on that. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, my two cents on it, it I would be, uh, I, I, yeah, I think that would be a huge miss if you are mainly just tackling from the pulpit injustice, poverty, racism. I get it. Those are the, the buzzwords yeah. right now. But to me, like the institution of marriage and the healthiness of marriage affects all of those things. Uh -huh. To a great degree. And just the I population mean, that we have here that we're charged by God to care for, I mean, how many of us are married? I mean, right. it's, it's a... I, yeah. just mean, I just mean like coming from a, a broken home, coming from a divorced home, it kills you. It mm -hmm. crushes you. Mm -hmm. it, it changes your worldview. It changes the way that you view human beings. It changes the way that you treat the opposite gender. It changes a lot of things. And if you don't deal with it, it sits and it festers. And all of a sudden you're 40 plus and you've still got these issues. You've never, mm -hmm. well, guess what? Now you're having kids. Now you're, mm -hmm. now you're bringing people into the world and you're, you're hopefully, you know, you're discipling them. Right. And you're, but you're still broken. It's like, mm -hmm. man, I, I think it should be the opposite. Like mm -hmm. I get it. I get it. It's probably not a popular thing to say right now, but I think focuses should be on marriages and, and the health of married people and their children. And mm -hmm. I feel like that, will have an, a greater effect than trying to get at, you know, at things like racism and injustice and poverty, all things we need to address. But yeah. it, to me, it's, it's a cart before the horse thing. Like, mm -hmm. There's actually a lot of studies on that, too, that if we focus on the health of the family, the trickle mm. down in terms of other social like issues, issues, yeah, right. um, crime rates, um, abortion poverty. rates, right. poverty, all of those. Totally. So, I mean... Families, children who live in two-parent married families are far less likely to be in yeah. poverty. I, I, they also don't end up in the principal's office. They get better grades. Right. They better, do less oh, drugs. They All of it, yeah. So as someone I work with often says, like, if we would just focus on the marriage, all these other social constructs that we have to put government funds for, it's just like, it's just mopping up yeah. the fact that we should be focusing right. on the family. We just keep family. churning out the same yeah. things mm -hmm. over and over. I yeah. mean, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's churches out there that, that are are deliberately not talking about injustice and poverty and racism because they they want to try to keep the peace or whatever. Mm. I get that and that's wrong. 
but. Um, it, for what it, it's worth, we'll, we'll discuss that this Sunday. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> you're just you bash all. at church <laughs> because they're not talking about a certain yeah. t- topic X, Y, Z. You should ask yourself, well, what are they talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Is it mm-hmm. fluff? Well, then maybe you got a case. But are they are they trying to point to the greatness and goodness of God and trying to to convince their folks to fall in love with God every day and have him as your top priority? Because if you're fulfilling mm-hmm. that first commandment, then you will be able to go into these other conversations mm-hmm. a lot more effectively with a lot more fruit on the back end. Yeah, I, I actually, th- I thought about it from both Beth and Matt, from your perspective, like if, if, if I'm being the husband that I'm supposed to be means that I'm dealing with you know, I'm serving in a way I'm giving myself up. I'm sacrificing myself, Mm -hmm. right. For my wife, for my, my family. Well, that's going to really affect how I think about justice, Mm -hmm. right. It should anyway, Mm -hmm. like out in the world, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know if being in a better, healthier marriage makes you less racist, but I think it could, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think it could, if you were truly following, um, what God, how God calls you to be in a marriage, and thinking of how he cares for his church and what he thinks of his church. And that's how, I mean, it has, it has incredible implications, Gosh, mm-hmm. healthy marriages, right? Well, yeah. And for but, the kids too, oh, right? totally. how it affects yeah. the kids, mm-hmm. right. the psyche of the right. kids. Like. But I also looked at it from the perspective of it's in Luke and we can't <laughs> skip it. Right. Imagine right. if we skip what was really the uncomfortable. Teachings. It's what you don't say when yeah. you skip those verses. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. You have mm-hmm. just said a mouthful. I am not you've said more by skipping it than you have by by potentially offending people. I mean, mm-hmm. the consultants of Grow a Church would tell you never preach this sermon. But that's not the kind of church that we are, right? Like, well, we want to grow a church. I'm not sure that's the church. Well, right. Yes, 100%. You're <laughs> right. But, but if you skip over it and you, wait, why didn't we talk? Right. Does no, this stuff not matter anymore? Mm-hmm. Like, where do you start and where do you stop? Yeah. Like, So across the street from me uh, is a family that we've shared the block together for about 18 years, uh, almost 20 years. And uh, they were a family that was involved in a um, foster care. And mm-hmm. they brought this young little girl, um, one or two years old into their house and, uh, they fell in love with her and then they adopted her. And when she came to the home, she had all types of head trauma from being mm-hmm. abused. I mean, mm-hmm. physical oh, so brain awesome. trauma. And, mm-hmm. um, she wore one of those, uh, head things that remolds mm-hmm. the cranium mm-hmm. after being abused. Mm-hmm. It was pretty brutal. And mm-hmm. she had delayed speech development and attachment issues. And, um, mm-hmm. but they adopted her and, um, and I, about a decade ago, after seeing the transformation in this girl's life, I said to them, you, there's no way to say it other than you saved her life. You saved her life. Mm-hmm. If you hadn't been there, as an intact family, mm-hmm. this rescue wouldn't have happened. And I, I think just of the beauty of that um, and the power in what a husband and wife can accomplish. Mm-hmm. And that's just one example. I mean, uh, half of this little four-person group has adopted and is being used by God in some powerful. It just the intact marriage and its redemptive value on the community is beyond quantifying. That's why I like that you use the word powerful, the, the power of the intact family. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of good and a lot of glory to God. And, and even 
I mean, that's not just the intact family, but I like, I like that you use that word powerful, what can happen and God can use all of us in powerful ways. But I like that thought. And there was this, I don't know, I'm just reminded of this. Um, Somebody on Facebook posted this video, this kid, 13 year old kid from Kansas city. His mother died. He's looking to try to be adopted. One of the quotes, this kid, such a, such a sweet kid. I'm not saying I want to be rich. I just want to have a decent amount of money, a good house, a family. I just want to be an average human. Mm-hmm. That's what this kid wants. Yeah. Hey, we started with uh, the explanation or proclamation of God's grace. Let's, let me close with just saying if it occurs to me, your marriage may be, a listeners may be in a, a hard marital situation, not sure, sure if they can continue on in the marriage. I, I remember... Um, for Sherry and I, we're nearing our 30th anniversary, but year three, the train came off the tracks. I want to encourage those listening to reach out. Don't, don't go it alone. Uh, mm-hmm. The gift of the church is that we can bear each other's burdens. So if you feel like you're drowning, uh, reach out to pastoral staff and let us support you. Um, Sherry and I went and got in counseling it, and we realized in counseling that there were tools missing from our toolbox. We were trying to build a house yeah. without some of the most basic tools, without yeah. hammer and nails, and mm-hmm. and it just wasn't going well for us. So um, just want to encourage those that may feel like divorce is unavoidable or a foregone conclusion, um, reach out. Don't go it alone. Mm-hmm. That's a good word. Yeah. And another encouragement is just the realization that, guess what? Everyone on your block is trying to build a house without the proper tools. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, right. There is, there is no, yeah, I don't, we all have to grow, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And you're not alone. Right. No matter what, how crazy your problem feels and seems, yeah. there are other people out there, probably at this church who have oh, yeah. walked through uh, down a similar road. And God can do amazing things. Wow. Yep. He can. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's uh, all the questions we have for you today. But if you have any further questions, comments, or concerns, don't hesitate. Text the next little podcast, 630-474-6164. Our podcast is dedicated to answering listener questions on two levels, answering specific questions about last Sunday's sermon, and also general questions regarding broader topics within the Christian faith. We love God and believe that Scripture is a primary means for getting to know Him. And our hope is that this podcast extends learning opportunity for all who want to know God better. Strengthening not only your faith, but my faith and our faith together. Thanks for joining us, and thank you, listeners, for tuning in to the next level. Prophecy.